Today on Ag News Daily. And, you know, this is probably going to go down in one of the most challenging, likely spring plantings for a long time. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is another sweltering day here in uh, eastern Iowa. It is hot, it is humid, but the wind has finally picked up. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host of Ag News Daily, and joining me is Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you beating the heat today? Um, I went out early this morning and got a workout in before it was hot, so I've been hanging out inside other than that. Not a bad thing to do for those of you no. folks that are outside in this heat. Remember to drink plenty of water. Uh, beer doesn't count. <laughs> and try to find a way to stay cool. Yeah. It is tough. And I, I saw that they gave us a 50% chance of rain tomorrow. But we'll see if that materializes. We are getting dry here uh, east of I-35 in uh, eastern Iowa. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, Delaney, what's uh, what's new? What's new? What's cracking in the world of agriculture? In the world of agriculture, I'm really, I'm kind of disappointed that we missed this for yesterday's podcast, but I know you had it on your list for today, too, but just the Trump administration has released guidance on shipping beef to China. That's right. And so... With this agreement, there are several strings and stipulations in place. Delaney, do you have those in front of you? What do What's it going to take for us to ship beef to China? Yes, I do have those, Mike. They are listed on the USDA website, which we will share on our website, agnewsdaily.com. So those specific requirements from the USDA um, now include beef and beef products must be derived from cattle that were born, raised, and slaughtered in the U.S., cattle that were imported from Canada or Mexico and raised and slaughtered in the U.S., or cattle that were imported from Canada or Mexico for direct slaughter. Cattle must be traceable from the U.S. birth farm using a unique identifier, or if imported to the first place of residency or port of entry, you have to be able to trace that. Beef and beef products must be derived from cattle less than 30 months of age, Chilled or frozen bone-in and deboned beef products are eligible for shipment. And finally, carcasses, beef, and beef products must be uniquely identified and controlled up until the time of shipment. So a lot of big changes there. Really, the biggest one, though, I see is this traceability. Yeah, that seems like that's going to be... Expensive. Expensive and a yeah. challenge. I know mm -hmm. some of the uh, smaller processors in this country have already implemented systems like that for U.S. consumers. So I imagine they'll reap the windfall right away until everything else can, can get those numbers. Everybody can get on the same page. But, yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to be a huge batch of beef heading to China in the near term. Right. Yes. And I think the markets, you know, kind of reflected that today on the beef side. Mm -hmm, definitely. All right. Well, that is good news. At least we have certainty as to what will be going to China. And they do still plan on having everything ironed out by July 16th. So mm -hmm. hopefully some shipments will begin to leave the shores and we can uh, see if that puts any more wind under the sails here of the beef market. Hopefully it does.
Hopefully, indeed. Well, as long as we're talking about changes that impact our foreign buyers, the House Ways and Means Committee, the chairman of that committee, Kevin Brady, a Republican from Texas, is talking more about the border adjustment proposal, essentially that tariff on imports that uh, the GOP had proposed in their tax plan. And he said earlier today that after talking with a lot of business people in this country, his current thinking is that this could be a very gradual five-year transition into this border adjustment tax. So it still seems as though this is a serious proposal. It seems like they are going to try to write this into the tax plan, but it probably won't be as uh, quickly as as it was initially proposed by Paul Ryan back in you know, January or whenever they first kicked this thing out. Does anything ever happen quickly in D.C.? Well, no, that's a good point. <laughs> Although, actually, something that has happened relatively quickly is Purdue, Secretary Purdue has named a head to lead the rural development at the USDA. So we reported on this, oh, a couple weeks ago that the USDA was going to have a shakeup with their structure. And so Secretary Purdue recommended that they create a position of assistant to him for rural development as opposed to having that undersecretary for rural development. And so they have named somebody for that assistant position, which is Ann Haslett. She was the chief counsel to the majority of the U.S. Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry. So she will be leading rural development agencies at the USDA. But a lot of people in D.C. and in the White House are upset because technically the public commenting period hasn't ended yet. Oh, so is this appointment going to stand, do you think? I mean, once they get that comment period done, could they shake everything up again? Yeah, I don't know. That's one of the big concerns is that Secretary Purdue went ahead and appointed someone before the public comment period was over. So a lot of people are upset saying, why did we even bother having a comment period? Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen with that, but... Now, was also on a uh, same note, was this the position that uh, Secretary Northey's name had been floated for? I don't remember if it was this position because there were three new or three different positions. And I think he was supposed to be an undersecretary for something. Gotcha. It might have been this one. I don't know. We'll need to double check on that. All right. More research on our plates, which is always good to have. It's good to mm-hmm. keep busy. That's right. So, in other international news, last year, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, particularly on the wheat-growing side, remember Egypt kept tendering offers for wheat imports, but then they insisted that the wheat coming in, they would have zero tolerance for the fungus ergot. And uh, essentially, that halted Egypt's wheat buying last year. So Egypt said, you know, we need to get some wheat in here, we need to do something different. So they put into place a food inspection system that was going to reform the way they buy wheat. Well, an Egyptian court today suspended that food inspection system, and now we're left with uncertainty again. Will Egypt allow 
wheat with any percentage of ergot. And we don't know what's going to happen. In fact, Alazaki, one of the lawyers on the case, said, quote, I have no idea what will happen with ergot. That's for the agriculture ministry to decide. So again, this gets thrown back into the uh, into the bureaucracy to get this thing sorted out. So we could see, I, I guess, another zero ergot tolerance of policy brought forward by the Egyptian government, but at the same time, they've got to feed their people, so we'll see. Okay, Mike, I did find what Secretary Northey was nominated for, and that was the undersecretary position for farm production and conservation. So we still don't have a confirmation or know if he's going to be heading to D.C., but it is possible still that we might lose him here in Iowa. Okay. Gotcha. So it's the undersecretary position is what he's. Yeah. So there were three undersecretary. Yeah. There were like three different undersecretary or assistant secretary positions available. He was nominated for farm production and conservation. And Ann Hatzlett is replacing the undersecretary for rural development. Okay. All right. Well, glad we got that squared away. Again, keep an eye on it and see how this rolls out. Mm Mm-hmm. In more Washington, D.C. news, we've talked a couple of times on here about the plan to change the Dodd-Frank regulations. Those were the rules put into place right after the uh, financial crisis in 2008. They were designed to strengthen banks and, you know, make sure quality lending was going on. But a lot of the requirements, while they were aimed at mainly the big banks, the Wachovias and the the banks that were making these these mortgage loans during the crisis, they hit all banks. And uh, one of the arguments has been they they impacted community banks fairly in a big way. And so uh, Stephen Mnuchin, the the Secretary of the Treasury, has proposed new ways in which they're going to uh, focus on the frequency scope and administration of the bank stability exams, which are the stress tests that all these banks have to undergo. Under the Dodd-Frank rule, it was any bank below $10 billion in assets would be exempt from these stress tests, and Secretary Mnuchin has proposed raising that to $50 billion in assets being exempt, so still targeting those really big, the city banks and the Wells Fargo's, but... Mm -hmm hopefully exempting some of the smaller banks and uh, change some of the living wills processes on the way the banks are going to uh, weather a financial crisis, again, dropping that compliance threshold uh, to $50 billion. And um, FDIC it would be removed from that process. So at the end of the day, trying to make Dodd-Frank a little more hospitable to smaller community banks, which should help since a lot of us in rural America do business with those with those smaller lending institutions. All right. Well, the USDA released a survey. I shared it on the Ag News Daily Twitter page, but we will also share the link on our website, agnewsdaily.com. They are doing their, what would a five years be? Their quintennial? No. Oh, for the for the census. It's yeah. The... What's every five, five years year. though? Um, I think it's a I think it's like quintennial or something. I don't know. By. No. Decade. By is two. I think right? it's quintennial. I'm gonna say quintennial. Decade. I'm gonna say quintennial because that sounds I'm, better. I'm gonna Google it. All right. You okay. you keep going. <laughs> I'll I'll figure this out. 
Okay, so the USDA is completing their five-year survey to see how many agriculture operations there are in the U.S. This information is all private. It's protected by Title Nine or Title Seven, excuse me. So go online. It literally will take you a minute. It has about five questions on it, and they are just trying to update information on the number of agriculture farms of all sizes within the United States. All right, and I believe to fill that out, you have to have ag sales in excess of $1,000 gross annually to qualify as a farmer. Okay. Yep. And Delaney, you were so close. Was you were I? much closer than I would have been. It's quinquennial, Q-U-I-N-Q-E-Q-U-E-N-N-I-A-L, occurring or being done every five years, quinquennial. Quinquennial. Okay. Yes. So there you go, Ag News Daily listeners. If you've got the uh, the SAT coming up, now you've got a big new word you can throw down <laughs> on it, which means occurring or being done every five years. Well, that's all I've got for news today. Delaney, is there anything else that we need to be aware of in the world of ag? Yes, there is one other big story I wanted to share, or rather an update. So the Bayer Monsanto takeover has still not gone through because Bayer has to sell off some of its assets so that doesn't control too much of the market. So BASF and Syngenta are among other companies that have submitted preliminary bids for some of those assets that Bayer is selling off. Included in those um, assets are canola, cotton seeds, the Liberty Link herbicide resistant trait, and its glufosinate weed killer. I don't know if I said that word right. Gluf... Glufosinate? Yes. Did I say it right? I think so. Okay. Close. I just went really fast so nobody would know. So but... <laughs> they're looking at selling off the Liberty Link trade, huh? Yeah, which is a big one for them. So I'm kind of surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. So who were the bidders? Syngenta and just the other big players? BASF. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. We could see our Liberty Link trade being moved to a mm-hmm. new owner. That's right. Okay. Well, should we talk markets, Delaney? Let's talk markets. A little bit brighter picture today in the Mm -hmm. grain market, but after yesterday, not bright enough for producers. As we start in the corn pit, July corn climbed three and three quarter cents to finish at 381 even. December corn up three and a half to close the day at 399 even. In soybeans, the July contract up one and a quarter, finished at 934 and a half. Novi beans up three quarters of a penny, closed the day at 939 even. In wheat, Chicago, July wheat rose 11 cents, picked up all of yesterday's losses, finished at 4.45 even. December wheat up 10 cents, finished the day at 4.80 and three quarters. In the meats, Delaney. Mm, Still not looking good in cattle. Yeah, don't get to say limit up today. Live cattle, June contract dropped 85 cents, finished at 127.50. August cattle dropped 67.5 to close at 120.87.5. In feeder cattle, August contract dropped $1.60, closing at 149.95. September feeders dropped $1.52.5, closing at 149.70. Lean hogs, the lone bright spot today. July lean hogs up $1.57.5, closed at 82.27.5. August lean hogs up 22.5 cents, finishing at 80, 22 and a half. In milk, June milk was unchanged, finished at 1631, and July class three milk closed up seven cents at 1668. One of the other stories that jumped out at me today, Delaney, 
was today we saw the dollar fall to the weakest point against the loonie in quite a little while. Do you know what the loonie is? Yeah, it's the Canadian dollar. Darn right it is. Isn't it a so, bird? It, it is. It's a it's a duck, I think. The oh, loonie. okay. Okay. I, I think. I'm, I have ducks, but I'm no duck pro. <laughs> so I mentioned that because who are we talking to today, Delaney? We are talking to some Canadians. Brock Lowry from the Westland Corporation. He uh, owns a physical buying and trading brokerage corporation in Ontario, Canada. That's right. So we'll get his thoughts on what's going on across the border, how his business operates, and what the future looks like with U.S.-Canadian trade. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, today we are traveling back north across the border. We are talking to Brock Lowry. He is the co-founder with Jenny Van Roy of the Westland Corporation. Now, Brock, tell us exactly what the Westland Corporation does. The Westland Corporation works as a matching grain broker, matching buyers and sellers together in the physical grain industry on corn, wheat, and soybeans, and feed ingredients such as DDGs and soy meal. We, we do not take title of the grain or the commodities. We match the buyers that take title with the sellers and charge a commission for that service on match deals. So you're not up there sitting with a giant bin set up to stockpile a lot of grain. That's on the responsibility of the grower and or the buyer, correct? That's correct. So basically, we have an office location. Uh, we're located here in King Carton, Ontario, right on Lake Huron. No, we don't have any storage facilities. We deal with a lot of different clients that do. And, you know, one reason that can benefit us at times is the fact that there's no con conflict of interest because we're not taking title or taking positions in the marketplace. We're just working on behalf of the companies and the producers that have positions. For example, producers are always long. Traders are sometimes long and short. And we can try to, uh, you know, fit the pieces of the puzzle together in the market each and every day. So explain to our listeners a little bit more than how about how your, your brokerage would work differently than a normal brokerage firm. The biggest difference is the, you know, that, the fact that we don't take title, you know, we still, we're members of the NGFA, which is the National Grain Feed Association, which governs kind of the North American grain trade overall, uh, rules and arbitration cases. You know, most brokers, title taking brokers will be buying and selling for their own account each and every day versus with us being a matching broker, we are are putting the deals together with the buyer and the seller in a sense, acting as an extension of their desks to assist with, with putting a, a deal together and make sure the transaction flows smoothly. Now, Brock, tell us a little bit about why you guys decided, why you and Jenny decided to start this, this corporation, Westland corporation. Was this a, uh, a gap you noticed in the marketplace? Yes, definitely. Um, just with, you know, my background and hers, we saw a good fit of kind of joining forces and uh, providing a good service in the marketplace. We saw opportunity, um, you know, wide range between bids and asking prices at times. And we wanted to create opportunities for, you know, all the different buyers and sellers that we work with and felt that we could provide a good service to both sides. 
and, uh, you know, help create a more transparent marketplace. And you, what's, what areas do you guys focus on? You have some areas in Canada, but also the U.S., is that right? That's correct. So our main, like our primary focus is, you know, Ontario. We trade a lot, you know, kind of through Midwest Ontario, call it Kitchener, um, through London and surrounding, down through, you know, Sarnia, across to Port Colburn, and up through Ottawa and, and you know, through the Ottawa Valley area. Um, we also trade quite a few tons into Quebec as well. It's a big feed market there. And we export, uh, you know, there's a big export market into to New York as well as importing and exporting from back and forth from Michigan. Gotcha. Now, Brock, one of the, the things we've talked about before on the Ag News the Daily podcast is the challenges that come up when you're doing international trade with currency exchange with you know varying varying market mm-hmm. players how do you address that if if i post a bid and i'm in michigan do you convert it to canadian dollars and then relay it to your canadian uh sellers or what's the process like that's basically how it works it's it's a uh, conversion of forex and you know depending on each and every day what the canadian and the u.s dollar looks like and how the market's affecting that affects the futures prices and overall the Canadian producer's, you know, bottom line and, and flat price for his grain or their grain. And so what we help do is, is work with different um, clients that, you know, maybe don't have a great understanding of U.S. basis or Canadian basis or making those conversions or don't have time to go through it. And we can help show the, you know, the different arbitrage opportunities that may arise, whether it's through the marketplace, the volatility in the marketplace, whether it be the Chicago Board of Trade or different positions that are out, you know, physical long or short positions that are in the marketplace, which change daily. Do you guys just broker grain or do you also do any dairy or livestock? No, currently we broker corn soybeans and wheat are our main primary focus and you know we have a number of you know clients that you know that have barns or that they, they feed and we also deal with a number of different feed companies as well that are producing feed so you know there's um, you know different situations that we're putting together feed ingredients not so much blended but more you know kind of your straight commodity like DDGs or soy mill mm-hmm. in truckload lots Okay. Now, Brock, one of the big questions I think a lot of us here in uh, the U.S. want to know, how do conditions look on Canadian crops so far this summer? Everybody get planted okay? Are you guys, uh, how's the weather situation look? Yeah, it's been a challenging spring for all of Ontario. Um, weather's been an issue. It's con- you know, consistently been staying wet. You know, it's it's a wide variance across the province. There's you know, there's areas that are dry at times, and then it's too wet, and producers seem to be having a challenge. Either they can't get on the fields because it's too wet, or there's times that the the soil is drying out and they can't find moisture to put the seed into, which creates you know, is now starting to create replant situations. And you know, switching corn acres to soybean acres, or you know, going to a different uh, different crop altogether. And, you know, this is probably going to go down in one of the most challenging 
likely spring plannings for a long time. Given that sense of uh, of challenge up north, how is the basis situation stacking up in Ontario this far into the year? Are you guys receiving, uh, is the basis much stronger for far, fall delivery yet? Yeah, we've, we've uh, overall basis values have been firm and seem to be firming slowly here. Um, production concerns, you know, old crop quantities are in the bin and, and are there. Um, there seems to be adequate coverage in the marketplace today especially in through the forward months here, you know, near the spot months, you get out into the forwards into, you know, your August, September, October. There's some opportunity there right now, but um, I would say definitely the marketplace is a little bit more on edge than they were not as comfortable with, with the current planning pace and crop condition. And, you know, it's turning more into uh, more of a, a seller's market than it would be a buyer's market on new crop today. Now you guys have a different system. You have buyers place bids and then sellers place asks to sell grain. Do you feel like they get a better price by doing it that way? Well, the great thing, you know, we send that out on our our daily Westland reports and we call it, we, we've, you know, filtered all in under what we call the pit. And that's where the bid and ask are placed. The nice thing about having the bids and the ask together is you're able to see it creates a transparency that not everybody has at their fingertips. And so you can see with the different spreads between geographical areas in the marketplace. And from a seller's perspective on a producer, it gives you the ability to be a price instead of a price taker. Now let's talk a little bit about your your buyers or the the bidders on Westland do they tend to be end users are you marketing through exporters you've mentioned a lot uh, of feed companies feed ingredients where does most of your your bid for grain end up going in Ontario feed is a huge demand in Ontario so if, you know if you look at a commodity like corn that would be the majority of the end users that we ship into also ethanol as well um, the ethanol, ethanol market is is a uh, is a big consumer in Ontario and, and and the surrounding areas such as New York consumes a lot of Ontario corn as well. So it's it's basically wherever the opportunities arise, and you know if, if the grades and specs meet where the destination is, that's where we'll match the, the you know whatever deal we have in front of us. Brock, you guys are pretty active, or the Westland Co-op is pretty active on Twitter from what I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that helps you guys when you're trying to get buyers and sellers? Are they pretty active on Twitter and social media as well? Definitely. It's, it's been great for, uh, you know, creating awareness of opportunities that are out there. You know, sometimes you're limited to how many phone calls or emails that you can make in a day to let your clients be aware of what's going on. Twitter has been a great tool for us to reach out, to our followers and let them know what opportunities we're seeing at times. And then at that point, they can, they can reach out to us if they're interested in marketing, you know, bringing their commodities to market at that time. That's fantastic, Brock. Now, if we've got folks who are tuning in in Ontario, Quebec, uh, Michigan, or New York, how can they get a hold of you if this is something they'd like to learn more about? Yeah, well, you, you know, definitely go to our website, thewestlandcorp.com. Uh, check us out on Twitter. Uh, at the Westland Corp, uh, or myself at Brock Lowe. 
yeah, just give us a call, you know, send a, a direct message or, uh, you know, shoot us an email. That sounds perfect, Brock. Open up a line and, and see, you know, see if we can create any opportunities. You bet. See what's out there. See what may be looking in a new place. Uh, see if that might yield some rewards as far as price goes, because we know that this environment is a little bit more challenging to make a living in. So it's time to maybe think outside the box a little bit. Exactly. Yep. The more opportunities that we can that can put in front of you, the the better it should help your bottom line. That's fantastic. Well, Brock Lowry with the Westland Corporation, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today and uh, wish you the very best as this growing season moves forward. Well, thanks a lot, Mike and Delaney. And yeah, it was a great talk here and I appreciate the opportunity. Again, a big thank you to Brock there at Westland Corporation. It always is interesting to hear other countries' perspectives on how to trade. Yeah, it is. And uh, Brock was a trooper putting up with us through some uh, technical difficulties mm -hmm. on our end with the yeah. lag. So thanks to everybody for uh, bearing with us. And we'll get Brock and his other co-founder, Jenny Van Roy, on the program again once we get uh, once we get the Internet figured out. <laughs> Well, and as long as you're on the Internet, folks, you can be sure to check out our website at agnewsdaily.com. You can download and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and be sure to rate and review us. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.